Good morning, everybody. I am not giving up on your guys' ability to greet. So good morning, everybody. Yeah, there we go. It's nice to be here. Thanks, Nikki. Dudes, I'm sorry I didn't mean those photos to leak. I, I thought they were strictly held amongst the men, but somehow my wife got to see you. Good morning. There's so much happening in the life of our community, and it's so cool to be able to celebrate that with all of us um, I have found myself over the last two weeks just reflecting on what's happening and looking at a sort of burgeoning group of people that keep pitching up and saying, hey, this is, this is our home. This is where we want to do life and community and mission and um, just so much happening. By the way, uh, next week, something you cannot afford to forget. We've got Terry Virgo coming to speak here with us. He um, basically launched the NFI movement in the UK, which began to uh, burgeon across the world and uh, is just a fantastic speaker. I would advise you, if there is a highlight moment for us, it's next week to be here and uh, to just be expectant for God to move. He is just uh, one of those guys, I want to grow old, I want to be like him. I don't want to accomplish everything he's accomplished because I could never, but um, man, I would love to just grow as humble, as gracious, as full of the Spirit as this guy. So you cannot afford to miss it. Go type in Google Terry Virgo and then decide if you want to be here next week. Um, so much happening. I, I, I liken the last few weeks to um, Acts chapter 2. Uh, and I, I mean, that's just my closest experience to it. In terms of Acts chapter 2, these guys, uh, sort of ordinary dudes, preach a gospel message, and a whole bunch of people that they never knew before started pitching up at their church and said, hey, this is our church, and started building community. And um, we have just been amazed by how that's begun to happen over the last couple of weeks. And I suppose my one reason I'm telling you that is because you pray for stuff in your life and you say, God, do some special stuff in our church and do some amazing stuff in our lives. And then he answers your prayers. How cool is that? And uh, God has really answered our prayers over the last while and uh, has just been adding to us amazingly. And we're so grateful for that. And to the point that we'd probably be remiss of us to stare at me without just a round of applause and a cheer of going, yay, God's doing something awesome. So on three, let's celebrate something cool happening in our church. One, two, three. Woohoo! We've been handing out these, um, these uh, What's So Amazing About Jesus booklets, 110 of them in one week went out. That means 110 people walking this journey. Don't miss them. Get them if you didn't get one. We've also been realizing our kids' ministry. We thought we'd have like X number, and we got X times 1.5. It's just been amazing, the amount of kids that have been pitching up. And so if you've been on the right side of that and your kids have been going, this is the best thing ever, yay. If you found yourself, your kids going, whoa. We're working to make sure that all of our kids' ministries are able to scale towards what God is doing, and, uh, and that's where you come in. If you are at all interested in just saying, hey, we'd love to plug some holes, um, it is a process. We don't just uh, let anyone, those of you that are uh, worried about how we let people into our kids' ministry, it takes time. But if you're saying, hey, we'd love to plug some holes, support you whilst we uh, sort of deal with some of the, the new lives in our community, won't you let us know, and we want to get you on that journey of helping us get into kids' ministry, um, because, man, we want to be uh, the kind of community that's really serving our children well. So there's one thing you could do. There's a sign-up sheet at the involvement desk straight after. You walk out these doors, hook a left, and sign up, and we'd love to um, hear more. Also, life groups. Look at this photo of uh, one of our life groups. This is Mike and Jenny's group. They meet just up the road. Some of you are going, that looks like fun. I'd like to be there. You can't. There's no space for you. They are 
packed, and loads of our life groups are in a very similar space. There are just so many people uh, wanting to be in life groups, and praise God for that. That's awesome, because we genuinely believe you can get a bit of life here, but when you start doing life week on week together in life groups, that's when the magic really starts to happen, and we walk journeys with each other. So here's what we're thinking. We're quite keen to launch a few new groups, and uh, something in my head, uh, and maybe in my heart, has said, maybe three to five new groups that could start. We've got people saying, hey, Milk Boss, we're really keen. There's other guys going, West Beach, Bloberg, we're pretty keen. We've got people out um, sort of Edgemead, Platterclough way going, hey, we're keen in this space. And uh, some people in Tableview as well, sort of where we were meeting, are going, now we're traveling up here, but we still wouldn't mind a life group right in our area. And we're going, fantastic, sound good? Yay, another problem of life. We want problems of life, we've got them. So here's the thing. We've got another sign-up sheet. You might want to be involved. You might say, we've got a house in one of those areas. We've got a heart to help host. We love people, and we'd love to be equipped so that we could help host. Maybe with our lives, with our leadership gift. Maybe you've come from a, another experience or expression of church, and uh, this seems to be your home, and you're going, can, can we possibly help host one? Please don't leave today without putting your name down at the involvement desk. We've got a sheet. We're taking details, and we just want to get in touch with how we could potentially get some of these new groups off the ground to facilitate some of the amazing new lives. We're just so grateful you're here, but we want to host you well and help you to um, find and follow Jesus as best you possibly can. Okay, so a couple of adverts, but exciting ones, right? Yes. Awesome. So don't forget, please, straight after the meeting, you guys have an amazing habit of going, yes, I love that, and then forgetting to go to the involvement desk. Not today. Nudge someone next to you and go, not today. Okay. We're in a journey. We're actually on a year-long journey, believe it or not. We're going through the book of Mark. Last year, we went through the book of Ephesians, and uh, this year we're going through the book of Mark, and we're going just line by line through this amazing story of the life of Jesus. There's nothing better I think we could do with our lives. In fact, we're not even going through the whole book. We're only going through chapters one through eight, and we're going to have little mini-series throughout. This one, Good News at Last. We're going to spend six weeks going through the first chapter, and we're looking at the life of Jesus. Man, if you're new to the faith, you couldn't do anything better to have some of your questions answered than to ask, who is Jesus? What's he like? What are you guys all fussing about? Well, we're going to tell you what we're fussing about as we look at this. And, and obviously, we're going to look at what is this good news? What's it all about? And basically, throughout the year, we'll take breaks and we've got other exciting series and things we're going to focus on through the year, but we're going to cover the first eight chapters of the book of Mark and hopefully find ourselves submerged in the life of Jesus. Honestly, I don't think there's a better thing we could do with our lives than submerge ourselves in the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus spoke of himself in John chapter 14, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe we could put that slide up. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And generally in our generation, we look at that, and because we're information junkies, we're spending so much of our lives reading and Googling and finding out more and more, we love that thing of the truth. Hey, Jesus is the truth. And, and even in churches, we fill ourselves with more and more information. We love sitting in auditoriums, having someone speak to us. Cool. Nothing wrong with that. Jesus is the truth, and we should get lots of truth. But Jesus isn't just the truth. He's also the life. And, and most people, actually, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you want the life. 
We all want the life. We all want peace because, man, anxiety is awful. We don't want anxiety. We want joy because sadness isn't fun. Like, nobody wants to be sad. Everyone wants to be happy. So we, we shoot for, for joy. So many of us want the things that Jesus offers. Love, joy, peace, patience. Who wants to walk into their work world anxious, spinning, stressed? Nobody. Who wants to get home and, and be snappy and, and barking at their kids because life's hectic and busy and, and tiring? No, we, we want the life of Jesus. Everybody wants that. You read Jesus' life, you're like, who wouldn't want this? You read the New Testament and the fruits of the Spirit of life of Jesus. Again, you're like, wow, I want some of that. I want what he's, what he's got. Here's the thing. We're not always as crazy about the way of Jesus the way of Jesus. And so we shoot for the life, and, 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 and we, we're okay with the truth, like all the stuff about him, but then it's about actually following. You see, the truth is the wow stuff. You go, wow, look at him. He's incredible. But the way is sometimes where it actually starts to have the rubber hitting the road. There's actually something he calls us to do, something that actually he calls us to live in. And if we don't have the ways of Jesus in our lives, we get this annoying thing where we know the truth, we fill up our head, and we, we want the life, but somehow we just keep hitting up against a glass ceiling. When Jesus uses the word salvation, he actually doesn't talk just about this thing of, hey, now your sins are forgiven and you know where you're going to go to when you die which is something very popular, and it's part of the gospel. But actually, the word salvation comes from the word for healing, that he starts to heal our lives. He starts to reorient the way we live our lives so that it becomes, and listen to this, salvation is where we get the word salve, you know, S-A-L-V-E, which is a healing balm. It's the same word. When we start to not just believe the truth about Jesus, but actually live in the way of Jesus, we start to experience the life of Jesus. And part of the journey of what it means to follow Jesus in Common Ground Bloberg and most common grounds across the city is that we are not just wanting truth, we want the ways of Jesus. That's why we're going to spend so much time looking at the life of Jesus because we're going to see two things. We're going to love the truth and we're going to go, wow. And then we're going to love the ways, and we're going to go, how? How do I do what Jesus did? How do I pull off this very uh, interesting life that he did? How do I start to live in the peace and the, and, and the patience and, and the joy? What did he do that brought that about? What was his lifestyle that meant that we could make application to our own lives? That's how we're going to look through this whole book. And I hope how you start to read the Gospels. First, you go, Wow. And then when you say, wow, you're saying, there's some stuff that I will never be. I'll never walk on water, probably. I'll never die on a cross for the sins of the world. I'll never rise again three days later, although you will rise again. But the point is, you'll look and you'll go, wow, that's only God. But there's going to be some how, where you go, hey, he's just like me. He lived in a complex world. He was tempted. He went through struggles. He was let down. He was hurt. He would have probably wanted to feel covetousness and and jealousy, but he didn't on my behalf. We get to learn his lifestyle so that we can start to put it into practice. Sound good? So Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Michael Moll reminded us last week. It starts like this. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This little line is a bit like a trailer. You know, you, you, you want to know if you should watch the movie? Well, this line, theologians say, is like a trailer. Or if you're an, a really fancy person, it's like an overture to an opera. An overture, basically, they give a short little display of what's coming up. A trailer is a more, you know, understandable one. I've never seen an overture because I don't think I've properly been to an opera. But my time is coming. Who's going to take me? So we're going to, but, but, but this is a trailer. This is basically the, the writer of Mark saying, here's what you're in for. It's all about this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which is a loaded sentence, by the way. This is not something simple that would have read and gone, oh yeah, we know Jesus and Christ is his surname. So, you know, Jesus Christ, he sounds like a good guy. Oh, the Son of God? No, no, no. The Christ wasn't his surname. This was the Messiah. Christ meant Messiah. And the Son of God meant that God had become flesh and dwelt among us. And this whole uh, amazing next eight chapters is going to establish through story and through the life of Jesus and the people around him that that's true. That actually there is some good news. That God has come to man in Jesus Christ and that he is actually the Son of God Israel's awaited Messiah, this is really good news at last. They'd been waiting for a long time, and eventually, this good news arrives. It arrives. And so we're going to pick up in verse 6 of chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, open up. Always cool to have a Bible. If you've got it on your phone, uh, that's cool as well. Go to verse 6 of Mark chapter 1, and uh, you keep it open in front of you throughout my talk. It'll help you to keep referencing where I'm going. So here it goes. This is John the Baptist. John wore clothing made of camel's hair. With a leather belt around his waist, he ate locusts and wild honey. Some fashion tips there. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended to him. This is God's word, let's pray. Lord, your word is beautiful, it's precious. It's sufficient, it's clear, it's authoritative, it's necessary. We, we can't know what we need to know about you unless we have your scriptures. We thank you for your scriptures, the authority they bring, the clarity they bring, the sufficiency that they bring to help us to understand the world in which we live and the hearts that live inside of us. Today, I pray that you would bring greater clarity to who you are, to the wow and to the how. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. A guy named Mark Diva, he says, hey, Jesus is nothing like us, and yet at the same time, Jesus is just like us. He's nothing like us, but he's just like us. And so that's what we're going to look at. First, we're going to look at all the stuff that Jesus is nothing like us, the wow factor of Jesus. And I want to start by looking at that. Two points on wow and two points on how that come straight from this passage. Firstly, let's look at the wow factor of the fact that Jesus is heaven and earth's true king. Jesus is heaven and earth's true king. That's basically what we're seeing here. Jesus comes from Galilee, and he is baptized. 
Now, baptism was a pretty important thing that was going on. This was a moment where Jesus was being anointed as king. You see further on that he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, if ever you see the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, when you go back to the Old Testament, whenever you see oil being poured over, it was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So now you backtrack a couple of hundred years to the life of David, the, the, the humble shepherd boy, who uh, basically when the, uh, Samuel, the prophet, is looking for, uh, by God's help, looking for the new king to rule Israel, God takes Samuel and that famous line that I learned in Sunday school, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Remember that one? And uh, this amazing moment happens where Samuel is looking through these big, strong brothers of Jesse's kids, and eventually they come to David, the shepherd king. And he's not a king yet, he's just a shepherd. And the Lord says to Samuel, this is the one. And he takes his horn of oil and he pours it over uh, David. And David is anointed as king. And the scriptures describe in 1 Samuel 16 that the spirit of God came on David to become the king. Now there's prophecies that said that in the line of David would come the Messiah who would reign on the throne forever. You can't make this stuff up, by the way. It's, it's impossible. Hundreds of years of prophecies that eventually line up like this. I wish you, you know, there, there's so many skeptics out there, but, but try and make this stuff up. Try. Historians struggle all over to work out how did this all line up so well. So here you've got Jesus being baptized, and the Spirit comes upon him like a dove. You see, he's being anointed. And then he hears these words, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Again, you've got to go back a couple of hundred years to prophecies about this Messiah King who would come and be heaven and earth true King. Think of uh, Psalm 2, which says it like this in verse 6. I've installed my King on Zion, my holy mountain. Listen to this language. You are my son. Today I have become your father. This is a, prof- a prophecy about the Messiah who was to come. How uncanny is the language that comes from heaven and the language that comes from the psalm about the Messiah that was to come? Or Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased, says the Father. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations was a massive moment where the people of Israel had been waiting for hundreds of years. These prophecies were pregnant inside of them, and they were waiting for this Messiah to come, and eventually he does come. And what's happening in this baptism moment is that he is being anointed as king. But what's also interesting, if you want to keep tracking the life of David, is that David got anointed as king by Samuel. But then astoundingly, it took a number of years till he actually sat on the throne and was crowned the king of Israel. There was this gap where he sort of was in the wilderness. He was doing his thing, but he wasn't actually crowned. Sound familiar? The life of Jesus? He's anointed in this baptism moment, but only three years later, in that amazing paradoxical moment where he's on the cross, he's crowned as the king. He's crowned as heaven and earth's true king, not like any other king. We know that instead of sitting on a throne of of sort of gold and, and sitting in presidential palaces, he goes to a cross with a crown on his head, showing that he is both willing to die 
as a true king and willing to live again and show that he is both earth's king and heaven's king. This is an amazing moment. This is not Jesus just kind of getting baptized because it's like what everyone was doing around him. He's fulfilling some incredible expectations. This is a wow moment. Study it further. You'll see so much joy in this. Hey, the second wow thing is that Jesus was able to beat temptation. He's able to beat temptation. You spot that last little bit? He went into the wilderness, so he's baptized. He is buzzing, obviously. He's heard his father in heaven say, you're my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Anybody loves hearing that from a dad, right? This is the coolest words you could ever hear. He's heard it from his heavenly father, and now he's led into the wilderness, and he faces temptation, and he does something no other human has ever done. He beats temptation. He's offered so much for so, uh, with so much possibility. He's offered identity. He says, the, the, the tempter comes and he says, if you are, then you can. And you know how that feels, right? Somebody goes, you're not really so-and-so. And you're like, you bet I am. You, sh- you don't know who you're talking to. And our identity, when that's challenged, we're tempted to take all kinds of shortcuts to prove that we are the real deal. Jesus doesn't hold on. He doesn't take any shortcuts. He trusts God's word. He says, it is written. And not only his identity is challenged, his intimacy with God is challenged. He says, you know what, if you really are, the the enemy comes and he tries to, to steal his intimacy with God by giving him a little shortcut. He says, I'll give you all the kingdoms. You and I, we could be buddies and change the world together. It's gonna be sweet. And, and, and Jesus goes, no, no, no. As good as that looks, my father is more than enough for me. He's everything I need. His his intimacy is offered in in, in a kind of shortcut way, and Jesus goes, I'm not going to short-circuit this thing. I know who I am. I've just heard it. I know where my intimacy comes from. I've been anointed with with love from God the Father. His calling is clear, and his inheritance is is, is offered. There's, There's these shortcuts where basically the tempter comes, and he says, you can have this if you just bypass this. Just quickly, don't worry about what you've heard and what you've said. You can have all the kingdoms of the world. Just, just come, trust me. We've all had this, right? Little shortcuts. Just don't worry about the tax man here, man. He's, it's not a big deal as long as, as long as this. Or don't worry about this relationship as long as everybody generally seems happy. We, we, we cut corners, We cut corners because we want to get somewhere, we want to be something, and we want to make something work for our own lives. There's there's an inheritance we want to make happen in our lives, and there's one man. His name's Jesus. He's unlike all of us. We're in good company because we're all the same. None of us have made it through temptation unscathed, all of us. Hundreds upon thousands of times have said, I'll take the shortcut. At the cost of my relationship with God or my relationship with another, I'll take the shortcut. But there's one here, there's a wow moment where he came and he lived a life just like ours. Hebrews chapter four describes it like this in talking about him as a priest who stands between us and God. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize. He knows what temptation feels like, by the way. He knows what it's like. (laughs) He's able to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Wow, we can't be that. But we can thank him that he was that for us. 
so that when we come before God, we know we stand on a clean slate. He did what we could never do so that we can come to God knowing we are free from guilt. Wow, this is good news at last. Most of us live with a low-level guilt that we're just not living up to the standards we should. This is where God comes. He pulls us out of the courtroom. He says, you stop judging yourself, and you stop letting the world judge you as the primary judges, and you realize that God has brought a final judgment upon your life, which says, loved, well-pleased. Wow, this is good news at last. So how do we do this? How do we pull this off? It's pretty difficult. And there's, there's community for that because how can I fix everything in 35 minutes of preaching? I can do my best to take us through a little bit of what this text is saying. Here's two things that I would suggest are hows. How do we live out this, this, this life of following this God who is filled with wow? Firstly, be baptized. Be baptized. In every way Jesus was baptized, get baptized. It sounds interesting, but you might notice that two things happen here. Notice, firstly, John is writing in verse 8. So this is the John the Baptist, and he says to his, his disciples, he says, I baptize you guys in water. You may have seen it before. Basically, a believer goes uh, and, and says, hey, I want to be baptized. And another mature believer comes and takes them in the water, dunks them under, pulls them out after having said, I baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what baptism is about. It's like a real, it's quite a simple thing. It's pretty arbitrary to many Westerners. We're like, why do you do that? Just go for a swim, for goodness sake. Like, you know, that doesn't make any sense. But, but Jesus commanded it. And if, if Jesus commanded it, then it's great. So he says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. There's two things going on here. Because Jesus then goes to John and he gets baptized. Hey, a follower of Jesus is someone who does what Jesus did. If you're looking for a reason why to get baptized, well, the only one is, do you follow Jesus? Because if you follow Jesus, then you do what he said. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus reiterates and he says, go tell all disciples to get baptized in my name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I don't think I'm going to spend much longer on that, other than to say in two weeks' time, we are going to do some baptisms. Chat to your life group leader, sign up at the involvement desk. We want to get you some information to help you understand. But if you're a follower of Jesus, get baptized. Don't wait. It's not, you don't graduate, by the way. Baptism is a symbol that nothing graduates you for following Jesus except his love. He's the one who calls us to follow him, and we're the ones who say yes or no. Once you've said yes, get baptized, and the journey starts of just learning to make mistakes uh, in his comfortable and loving grace and learning to get better and better at following him. That's what it means. But there's a second kind of baptism going on here, right? Jesus also gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. You pick that up? He, he comes out of the water, and something happens where he gets baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's what John is saying. He says, Jesus, yes, he's getting baptized, but he's also going to be the one who baptizes believers in the Holy Spirit. This is very sweet. What it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is simply that God in His love comes to fill us with His grace and His joy. He comes to fill us with His presence. And sometimes you put your faith in Jesus and literally you float out of that, that space. And it's almost like simultaneously, once you put your faith in Jesus, the, the Spirit of God is so evidently in your life 
But you see in the book of Acts different kind of scenarios. Sometimes people put their faith in Jesus, and, and then a few weeks or, or months later, some, some people or believers will come pray with them. They'll lay their hands on them and say, hey, be filled with the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And suddenly another second outpouring of God's grace comes upon their lives. This is a very sweet and beautiful part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But what's the point? Why be filled with the Spirit? Just follow Jesus. Because following Jesus is really hard. That's the point. Because following Jesus is complicated. Because following Jesus needs outside help. The, the, the Holy Spirit is described as the parakletos. The parakletos was a helper. So if you imagine in a marathon, that was where the word came from, you would have somebody who would actually come alongside you and, and be your second, who would get next to you and they would encourage you, they would stand along you, go, come on, you can do this, only 10 Ks to go, 5 Ks to go, 4. And they would stand alongside and put courage inside of you. Following Jesus, and a lifelong decade by decade marathon requires some assistance, some help. The Holy Spirit also is described as the one who puts the love of God into our hearts. Romans chapter 5 says that the Holy Spirit comes and he sheds the love of Jesus abroad in our hearts. It's like we, we can do things functionally until the Holy Spirit comes and he helps us to do things with a joy. We're not just, we're not just following because it says in the Bible. We're following because we're seeing our Savior and he's infused our hearts with a sense of love. Hey, I... I there's so many ways you can do this. So sometimes I wake up most mornings actually and go, Holy Spirit, I just need a fresh and filling. Ephesians 5 says, be filled continuously. God, fill me with your spirit. Sometimes there's a first in filling. We described it a few weeks ago, uh, the end of last year. Justin, we prayed with him a number of uh, weeks ago, probably November last year, and just said he'd never been filled with the Spirit. And he told us the story on a Sunday, how we prayed for the infilling of the Spirit and God's joy and peace fueled his heart in a way he'd never experienced. I want that for you. Jesus got it. If he can get it, so can you. After the meeting, there'll be some people here to pray with you. They'd love to pray for that. Maybe you're going, I need the infilling of the Spirit. Hey, just ask. And uh, often God loves to pour out his Spirit. Next week with Terry Virgo, he's one of the finest teachers on the infilling of the Spirit. Don't miss it. He will really help us through into those things. How are we doing? Is everyone awake, alert, alive? The beauty of the infilling of the Spirit. Yeah. I don't know who that was, but I like you. The infilling of the Spirit is, um, is a way of hearing the voice of the Father deep in our hearts. I heard a uh, a 50-year-old man on a podcast talking to a 60-year-old man, describing how his relationship with his dad as a teenager and as a kid is still the dominant experience of his life in his 50s and his 60s. It still shapes what he's insecure about, what he loves, what he hates, why he does what he does. 50-year-old and a 60-year-old, surely you graduate from that stuff? Surely Jesus didn't need to know his father loved him? Really, what, like, once you reach a certain peak, Really? The answer is no. You never graduate from needing the love and the affirmation of a father to tell you whose you are and who you are. Jesus moved into one of the most challenging seasons of his life because he had the affirmation of the father inside of him. He knew whose he was. He knew who he was. You, you, I don't care how tough you are. I don't care what you do for a living. You never graduate from having a heart that needs to know that your father in heaven delights in you that he's pleased with you. He loves you. He cares about you. I did, made so many mistakes in my early years. 
took a lot of drugs, did a lot of rebellious things. Forgive me if you've heard this story. Confessed to my parents about uh, 16 years ago. Came clean. I came clean with Jesus, started following him. That was like riveting. Then I'm staring at these parents who I've kind of let down for the last 10 years and spent all their money on all the stuff they never thought I was spending it on and did all kinds of awful things. And anyway, I came to a point where I said, I've realized I need to tell these guys. I need to tell my parents what's been going on. Spent literally months plucking up the courage to do it. I felt so ashamed, so terrified, and just, I don't know, scared. Eventually, I do. I tell my parents, we're driving in a car, I tell them, and my mom starts weeping as she hears about drugs and alcohol and lies and deceit, and I'm like, flip, that's not what I expected. She's weeping in the front, and my dad's driving. I'm sitting in the back seat, choosing a bad moment. That was me. So anyway, my dad can't cry because he's got to be able to focus on the road. So I share this story, and my dad doesn't say a word. My mom asks really bad questions about how and when and why. I'm like, ugh, another day. So anyway, long story short, we finish the drive, and my dad gets out the car, and he hasn't said a word. He walks around the car, and he comes to me, and I'm just standing there. You know how it is when you just don't know what you're about to get. And he comes to me, and he holds me so tight. I'll never forget that. It's like a sacred piece of driveway where he walks to me and he holds me and he just says the simplest of words, I love you. Three words that change the game forever. And that was one of the moments in my life that I realized I need the Father's love. And that was not the Father's love I most needed. That was just a foreshadow, a tiny little taste of the kind of love that God the Father wants to give to us. The empowering, the baptism of the Spirit is God's way of just saying, I'm with you and I love you. Yes, you're going to have tough times. Yes, there is going to be some some awkward and awful situations you will face, but do you get it? I'm your Father and I'm with you. I'm your Father and I'm with you and I love you and I'm well pleased. Then you can move into the world and you can face all kinds of temptations. All kinds of temptations. That's what I want to say next, is that we're actually called to beat temptation through solitude, not isolation. Through solitude, not isolation. I preach community all the time. You guys are so tired of that word, and I'm going to keep preaching it. But today I want to suggest something a little different. I want to suggest that Jesus actually says something about what it means to walk and know the love of the Father that is so foreign to us that some of you are going to think I'm an alien for a couple of minutes, and I'm okay with that. But I want to suggest to you today that you are in the busiest generation the world has ever known, the most distracted generation we have ever, ever seen in the history of humankind. And here, something interesting happens. Because after Jesus' temptation, it's quite a, I mean, after Jesus' baptism, he gets all this love and affirmation from the Father, and then it says that he went into the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. Now, those of you that read your Bible or have been reading it for some time will read this passage and go, I've never really thought about why he went to the wilderness. Most of us think the Holy Spirit kind of took him there to be tempted, right? I I don't know if you've ever thought, why did he go to the wilderness? Why did he go? Why couldn't he be tempted? We are tempted in cities. We're tempted in all kinds of places. Why do you need to go to the desert to be tempted? Well, let me give you a little word lesson here. It's a pretty important one. That word, wilderness, is this uh, Greek word, eremos. For the sake of you guys smiling, say eremos with me. One, two, three. Eremos. Eremos. 
It's the same word that is used in Jesus' uh, life when it says he went to a lonely place or to a solitary place or to a desolate place or one of my favorites when he would go to a quiet place to pray. Often you read in the New Testament and in the Gospels that Jesus went to a quiet place. Early in the morning before anyone was awake, he went to a quiet place. Wow. Do you think that maybe... Just maybe, Jesus didn't go to solitude to be tempted, but to actually beat temptation. He didn't go there to be tempted, he went there to beat temptation. Maybe he knew he was about to face some of the most intense temptation that human being could ever face, and what he needed more than anything was a sweet, unfettered, uninterrupted space with his father where he could deal with what is about to come his way. That's unthinkable. 40 days in solitude, in the quiet place. Why? Because he needed to face what was coming his way. We live in such a busy world that I think we'd all be ashamed to say how long we have been in a genuinely still and quiet place each day over the last couple of while, couple of days or months, where it was quiet, there was no phone beeping in the background, there was no noise of TV, there was no child squawking, there was no kind of interruption of any kind, it was just quiet, us with God. We are in such a crazy, busy world. Our challenge, I think, is not to fight the, the normal temptations. Our challenge is that we lose our souls because we don't have enough quiet time and still time to actually remind ourselves that we have a soul. Listen to what Andrew Sullivan says. There are books to be read, landscapes to be walked, friends to be with, life to be fully lived. This new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. And its threat is not so much to our minds, even as they shapeshift under the pressure, the threat is to our souls. At this rate, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget we have any. We are so full of stuff. And we have so many notifications that are coming our way that we find it really hard to be in that silent place. And I know you're going to think I'm an alien, and you're going to walk out thinking the fourth point was either awesome or awful, but I want to suggest to you, if you could get this right sooner in your life rather than later, you might find some joy flowing to your soul that you didn't realize you needed. And think of Jesus' busy life. How many times there were people going, they're banging on the doors, and they so badly want to be close to Jesus. And John Mark Comer writes it like this. He says, so many people are coming to Jesus and, and, and coming and going. They don't even have a chance to eat. Ever felt like that, he asks? All you parents are thinking, every single day. And to his busy, overtired apprentices, Jesus says this. Come, come with me by yourselves to a quiet Eremos and get some rest. Get some rest. Translation, what you really need isn't a beer or a night out at the movies. What you really need is time alone with me. But to do that, we need to get away from all the noise and the people. I'm not suggesting isolation. I'm not suggesting stonewalling your spouse or your friends and never going back. I'm suggesting that we find spaces in our lives to be quiet and to face up to what God is like 
and to what our souls are like. I love Nikki's prayer. I was so grateful. We're not a church that are rushing to the next thing. And if we are, we're trying to slow down. There's that African proverb that sometimes we need to slow down to let our souls catch up with us. I think sometimes we need to slow down to let Jesus catch up with us. He doesn't go at our pace. And sometimes we need to work out, what do I need to cut out so that I can enjoy more of him? A couple of ideas. I just want to give you some thoughts. It's nearly time for the band to come up. Those of you that are in a rush and need to be somewhere, I get it. A couple of ideas quickly. Try win the day. Try win the day. Get up before your kids if you've got them. Try get up in a time where it's quiet and it's still and you can read the scriptures and pray and face God and face what's going on in your soul. The moment you pick up your phone, you've almost lost the battle already. My suggestion, find another alarm clock. There's loads of alarm clocks probably getting put out on table view uh, auctions for very cheap. You can go get one, and then what you do is you put it next to your bed, and it'll wake you up in the morning so you don't need your phone next to your bed. Because the moment you check your Instagram notifications or Facebook or uh, YouTube or whatever you like to do in the morning, you've lost the, you've lost the day a little bit. Not entirely, just a little bit. Get up and be quiet. And maybe you need to wake up super early. Maybe it's to go for a jog and then you walk the last K home and you're just quiet. I don't know what it is, but, but try win the day. Try get up before your kids if you can. Hey, redeem special moments or, or mundane moments, should I say. Things like traffic. Do you always need Cape Talk on? Do you always need KFM on? I feel like I do until I switch it off. Do you always need a podcast on? I feel like I do until I switch it off and I just face face the world. The traffic's so slow, and I face God, and I face myself, and I just pray. And you slow down at a pace that maybe God could speak to you. Hey, try just get a sometime each day, sometime each week that's a little bigger, sometime each month that's even a little bigger, where you can find some solitude and just be with God. No major agenda, just trying to be with God to know Him. Drastically reduce your phone interruptions. Honestly, I would suggest this. It's free advice. Take it or leave it. But man, we live in a world where our phones are dominating us. And you know who owns our phones? Not us. These people in Silicon Valley who are working really hard to get your and my attention. You don't own your phone. Don't for a moment think you own it. There's a whole bunch of really, really smart people who are trying to own your phone and what it can bring you. Try get a little smart. What would Jesus do with a phone? I don't know the answer, but you can try to find out. What would he do? What would he do with notifications? What would he do with emails? I don't know the jobs you do, and I do care about the jobs you do, but maybe we need to just give some thought to that. Okay, let me read John Mark Comer's final thoughts on this, because I think we can beat temptation, not if we just white-knuckle it, but if we actually just see the love of God the Father, the one who's with us. He says, before you write me off and go back to your noisy life, and I might add, uh, Mother Teresa, Henry Nguyen, and Jesus also feel similarly, think about what's at stake. When you don't practice this Jesus soul habit, we reap consequences. Firstly, we feel distant from God and end up living off somebody else's spirituality via a podcast or a book or a one-page devotional. We read before we rush out the door. We feel distant from ourselves. We lose sight of our identity and callings. We get sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. We feel an undercurrent of anxiety and rarely, if ever, does it go away. That sense that we're always behind, always playing catch-up, never done. We get exhausted. We wake up and our first thoughts are, already? 
I can't wait to go to bed. We lag through our days, our low-grade energy on loan from our stimulants of choice. Even when we catch up on sleep, we feel a deeper kind of tired. Then we turn to escapes of our choice. We run out of energy to do what, uh, what's actually life-giving for our souls, say prayer. And instead, we turn to the cheap fix. Another glass of wine, a new show streaming online, our social media feeds, or porn. We become easy prey for the tempter, just furthering our sense of distance from God and our souls. Then emotional health sets in, unhealth sets in. We start living from the surface of our lives, not the core. We're reactionary. The smallest thing is a trigger, a throwaway line from the boss, a snide comment from a coworker, a suggestion from a spouse or roommate. It doesn't take much. We lose our tempers, bark at our kids, get defensive, sulk, feel angry or sad, often both. Temptation is not going to come to us just in the form of doing something naughty. In our generation, temptation is going to come to us in the form of a thousand upon a thousand paper cuts of distraction. So we're looking out and feeling so agitated and uneasy because we've got so much and we've skimmed the surface and we haven't just slowed down to let ourselves go deep and to be deep with God. I'd love to call the band up and we're just going to sing a song and we're not going to rush through it. <laughs> we want to go at the right pace, to go at God's pace. We want to walk with Jesus. What have I said today? I said, wow, heaven and earth as a true king. His name is Jesus. He was anointed when he was baptized. But he was tempted just like any of us. Amazingly, he was without temptation. But he calls us in the how. He calls us to follow him, to get baptized in water. Are you baptized in water? Do it if you're not. And to get baptized in the spirit, to, to ask him to fill us. You can do that now, by the way. Even while we're singing, you can say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? probably will feel a bit of that. And then we're to be those whose lives aren't actually faster than Jesus. Can we try that? Maybe this week, somebody challenged me, are you willing to stop at a stop street? Like to a dead halt. I was like, no, I'm not. And then I tried it yesterday and I realized maybe I can. Because the question under my soul was, well, where do I need to be? Why can't I stop at a dead halt? Who's telling me my life is so busy and important that I can't get into neutral and then into first? Because in that is the call of Jesus to slow down and just let him be with us. He says he'll always be with us. It's a scary thought. My most terrifying thought is I finish my life, I look at Jesus, we go arm in arm, we look back on my life and he goes, you know, I was there all the time. And I go, what? What? Was I rushing so fast I never saw you in that and that and that? Was I so preoccupied with my stuff that I never saw that we were there? It's a journey. We've got the rest of many decades to work this stuff out. Don't feel down on yourself. His grace is really good. And he says, come follow me, messed up and all. That's what I need. But let's try walk with Jesus this week. Let's try go at his pace. We'll, we'll fight temptation when we go slow enough to hear the Father say he loves us. Oh, that's a good start. Why don't you stand up? I want to pray. Lord, this morning we love you so much. We want to walk with you. I've gone a little longer than normal, but that's okay. We want to be with you, Jesus. We want to walk with you. We want to know what it's like to hear the Father's voice over us. 
We want to know what it's like to have your spirit infuse our hearts so that we know the Father's love. So that in the decades to come, our responses are more secure, not more insecure. Our love is more deep, not more superficial. That we're more confident and humble all at the same time because our Father loves us and we're not sure what we did to deserve it. Even now, I just pray for an infilling of my life, of your spirit. Even in this room, people who've never felt that sense of your love, just to infuse us with your love. It's a very sweet thing. We never grow, we never graduate from this prayer. Holy Spirit, fill us with your love. Jesus, as we sing, there's a list of things we can do, but we just want to be right now. Be with you, enjoy your presence, and teach us to slow down to your pace. Let's sing together.